so let us begin with vibrio we know that the family is vibrionaceae and for all vibrios the reservoir is sea water and if we look at the shape you know it is called a comma shaped bacillus it has a single flagellum so it is called monotrichus and it has darting or shooting star motility because of that single flagellum right and they are alkali files because they grow at an alkaline ph of around 8.4 so to remember it we can think of it as one more than the normal body ph right and they require at least 0.5 to 1% salt to remember a gross figure they require 1% salt to grow exceptions to this we have vibrio cholera and vibrio mimicus which require uh, no salt okay so they are non halophilic whereas vibrio parahemolyticus and vibrio alginolyticus require higher salt concentrations than just 1% then if we look at the biochemical reactions we know that it is catalase oxidase nitrate positive special reactions include string test positive where we are adding bile salts to form a string and indole test positive i'm sorry uh, cholera red reaction positive where two tests are positive indole plus nitrate giving rise to a red color apart from this uh, gelatin stab culture shows a napiform or an infundibuliform liquefaction okay so it shows napiform liquefaction then the culture uh, we know that it is a non lactose fermenting bacillus right and uh, the transport medium is uh, vr venkatraman ramakrishnan or carry blair enrichment medium is anything with water so alkaline peptone water or monsoon storocolate telluride peptone water enrichment media per se liquid media so anything which has the name water in it will be the enrichment medium then we have selective medium which has monsoon gtt agar and by uh, and bile salt agar and we can remember this because salt is required for growth by these cholera bacilli right and thus we require bile salt agar and then we have selective and differential medium which is just one uh, or to simplify it the differential medium is tcbs right s stands for sucrose so it differentiates different uh, vibrio species on the basis of sucrose fermentation right so vibrio cholera produces yellow colored colonies because it is sucrose fermenting whereas vibrio parahemolyticus is non sucrose fermenting so it produces yellow uh, pale colored colonies okay so yellow means cholera pale means not cholera and to remember this uh, just visualize a culture medium which is green in color and if it has yellow patches in between that means this is tcbs with cholera then let us uh, look at the classification of vibrio given by gardner and venkatraman so we can call this the gardner and venkatraman classification now we said that vibrio was flagellated that is it had a single flagella right so based on this flagellar h antigen we can divide it into two groups group a and group b group a means cholera group b means everything else okay cholera is further divided on the basis of serotypes so this is called sakazaki serotyping right sakazaki serotyping and it is based on the o antigen okay so we have 200 serotypes o1 to 200 important to remember that o1 and o139 are the ones which have cholera toxin and hence are the ones that cause cholera disease the others are vibrio cholerae but they do not cause cholera 
and apart from o1 all others including o139r non agglutinable vibrios okay now talking about o1 o1 is further divided on the basis of biochemical reactions hence they are called the biotypes of o1 so the two biotypes are classical and ltor and further both of these are divided on the basis of serotyping into ogawa inaba and hikujima so we have ltor ogawa ltor inaba ltor hikujima etc okay so you get the gist now how can we remember ltor ltor means tod food right l tod so tod food which means it causes hemolysis so how can we remember this now ltor is causing sheep rbc hemolysis it is causing chick agglutination okay and vp test gives a red colored reaction right so vp red colored reaction because it is causing hemolysis you can remember it like that iske alawa yes ltor has five letters in its name so it is susceptible to phage 5 whereas classical is susceptible to phage 4 right and uh, susceptibility to polymyxin it is uh, ltor has r in it right whereas classical has the letter s in it so ltor is resistant to uh, polymyxin whereas classical is sensitive to polymyxin okay then coming to their clinical characteristics ltor as such is a hardier bacillus which means it can survive longer in the environment but the disease which it causes is milder with lesser mortality and a lesser secondary attack rate because it has more subclinical cases which means it has milder cases and more carriers whereas classical is less hardy but the disease that it causes is more fatal it has a, a greater secondary attack rate it has more severe features okay the subclinical cases are fewer because all of them are severe so we don't have subclinical cases and the carriers are fewer right then we look at uh, vibrio cholera o139 so o139 was first isolated in chennai but uh, because it caused an epidemic in bangladesh so it was called the bengal strain and the difference from o1 is the fact that it does not uh, that it has a capsule so there is no cross reactivity cause cross reactive immunity between the two strains if a person is infected by o1 this year in future he can develop o139 also right there is no immunity for o139 and currently we have had seven global pandemics of which the first six were because of o1 classical and this one is because of o1 ltor okay then looking at the pathogenicity factors uh, we have to remember uh, an important uh, factor which is the cholera toxin cholera toxin is phage mediated so you can remember this as ct5 5 for phage apart from this there is also tcb or toxin regulated pilus the mechanism of action is uh, that this cholera toxin will bind to gm1 glycos uh, gangliosside in the ileum right it then enters it causes adp ribosylation of gs subunit causes increase in cmp which results in uh, activation of the cftr channel which results in 
secretion of ions into the intestinal lumen and we have to remember that neuraminidase is producing uh, this gm1 ganglioside through which uh, cholera is entering okay so uh, we can remember this as o1 enters via gm1 and the second important thing to remember is that lps or endotoxin has no role in its pathogenicity now talking about cholera as a disease so we know that it is a human disease the reservoir is sea water incubation period is around 5 days infective doses more uh, when you take it by water and less when you take it by food right normally people usually don't get cholera because it is easily degraded in the stomach because of the acid but if a person is taking uh, h2 blockers ppis or if they've had a gastrectomy or if they have hypochlorhydria or echlorhydria then they are at an increased risk of getting cholera apart from this a person with o antigen has also an increased risk of getting cholera and uh, clinical features include vomiting diarrhea diarrhea which is called stool water uh, i'm sorry which is called rice water diarrhea because it has mucus flakes in it and fever that is seen only in children and uh, whenever it is endemic mostly children are infected whereas in an epidemic adults are also infected to establish a diagnosis uh, we perform a wet mount which will show us fission stream appearance right with a darting motility as we said before a uh, gram stain of course uh, gram negative curved rods selective medium can be used which included uh, monsoon ggta and then uh, we can also perform certain toxicity tests to treat this disease we have to use ors we have to use doxycycline and we never use chemoprophylaxis so that is uh, cholera now we talk about group b vibrios which were the ones that don't cause cholera so this has three uh, Uh, vibrios vibrio parahemolyticus alginolyticus and bullificus okay so parahemolyticus as the name suggests parahemolyticus para stands for uh, let's say peritrichus flagella on solid medium difference from cholera is that it is capsulated just like o139 strain it can tolerate a higher salt concentration right up to 8% and Uh, importantly it shows swarming on blood agar so swarming is shown by which vibrio it is shown by parahemolyticus theek hai on tcbs it can be differentiated because it shows non sucrose fermenting pale colonies and the disease which it causes is an invasive diarrhea and which means that it can also be bloody and treatment is again doxycycline uh, vibrio parahemolyticus shows the kanagawa phenomenon which means that on wagatsuma agar which is basically blood agar with salt 2 to 4% the pathogenic strains will show hemolysis hence called parahemolyticus para pathogenic hemolyticus hemolysis and the non pathogenic will not show hemolysis that is vibrio parahemolyticus so kanagawa phenomenon capsulated then we look at vibrio vulnificus right and vibrio vulnificus is caused by intake of contaminated seafood 
like uh, people eat oysters and clams and shells etc so in a healthy person it will cause the similar diarrhea as in cholera whereas in a person who has cirrhosis or who has an iron overloaded state or if the person is infected with hiv then it can cause septicemia with myonecrosis right so importantly if they give a question which says that an hiv positive person ate oysters at his friend's birthday party and now uh, he has presented to the er with uh, with features of uh, septic shock then which uh, vibrio do you suspect it is vibrio vulnificus apart from this uh, alginolyticus and vulnificus they can cause uh, cellulitis or infection of wounds which they acquire in sea water right and uh, also alginolyticus shows swarming so two organisms two vibrios that show swarming are alginolyticus and parahemolyticus both of them also grow in a uh, more than normal salt concentration that is cholera okay so now we begin with pseudomonas but before that just a short note that vibrio vulnificus is the only lactose fermenting vibrio okay vibrio vulnificus is lactose fermenting otherwise all other vibrios in pseudomonas also is non lactose fermenting anyway so pseudomonas like um, vibrio is monotrichous it doesn't have a capsule right instead it has a slime layer and um, it is a strict aerobe unlike vibrio which is a facultative anaerobe and uh, it shows the same biochemical reactions which is con catalase oxidase nitrate positive differences from vibrio are the fact that it is non fastidious it doesn't require a special medium okay to grow and uh, it produces pigments these pigments are biocyanin which is seen in all so it is called the blue green bacillus right biocyanin which is giving us the blue green color verdin means green color rubin means red and uh, it is beta hemolytic on blood agar and its selective medium is cetrimide agar okay so cetrimide is a disinfectant which can kill almost all other bacteria but we know that pseudomonas is inherently very resistant and a very pathetic pathogen right to have so the selective medium is cetrimide agar if we look at the virulence factors apart from the usual ones the most important one which we have to remember is exotoxin a where uh, we we can think of it as a stands for adp ribosylation and ribosylation of what of uh, elongation factor 2 so it prevents what it prevents protein synthesis just like diphtheria toxin and it shows an interesting phenomenon called quorum sensing which means uh, that when the concentration of these bacteria are low they don't produce much of the virulence factors but as the concentration increases they begin to secrete more and more of a substance called an autoinducer and when they've reached a threshold level all of them realize that now they are in a sufficient number to overcome the host immune system and thus they cause uh the infection now so this is called quorum sensing right they now start producing the virulence factors and uh, all species of pseudo are saprophytes in moist environments so all of them are saprophytes but they can cause infection in us also and the infections which they cause uh, can be community acquired or they can be nosocomial 
so the community acquired infections uh, can be summarized from top to bottom and these are to continue uh, in the eye they cause corneal ulcers and they are the most common cause of corneal ulcers in people who wear contact lenses in the ear they can cause two infections malignant otitis externa and swimmer's ear um, malignant otitis is seen in diabetes and swimmer's ear is seen in normal people then uh, going further down in the nail it can cause green nail syndrome it can cause hot up folliculitis and uh, in the git it can cause enterocolitis so these are the community acquired infections whereas um, it also causes certain dreadful uh, nosocomial infections and uh, it is the most common cause of burn infections and the most common cause of ventilator associated pneumonia or vap as far as the treatment of pseudomonas is concerned we know that it is a terrible pathogen to have because it is resistant to a lot of drugs so mm, it is inherently resistant to beta lactams like penicillins and cephalosporins right and uh, carbenicillin ticarcillin etc monobactam they can be used uh, we use piptazo mostly for treatment of pseudomonas okay so now we'll talk about burkholderia so burkholderia has three species pseudomaly mali and cypacea the most important for us to remember is pseudomaly right <clears throat> uh, before that it is we must note that mali doesn't cause meliodosis okay so the causative agent of meliodosis is not mali it is pseudomaly so having said that we begin with uh, burkholderia pseudomaly right it is also called whitmore bacillus and we can remember uh, burkholderia by a mnemonic which is abc so a stands for ashdown medium which is the culture medium required for its diagnosis okay then b stands for it is a category b bioterrorism agent it requires bsl3 safety level it shows bipolar staining or safety pin appearance okay it is treated using ceftazidime so that is c and we also have a d which means uh, that uh, doxycycline is used for maintenance phase so induction is uh, using ceftazidime or carbapenem whereas uh, maintenance is using doxycycline and the disease which it causes is called melioidosis it is also called the vietnam time bomb disease because this disease can lie latent like a time bomb and eventually cause a dreadful disease which is characterized by pneumonia and septicemia and it can also cause skin infections in the form of lymphangitis and lymphadenitis then uh, that wraps up burkholderia pseudomaly talking about burkholderia uh, mali uh, this is strictly seen in horses so it is an equine infection right it causes a disease called glanders of farsi and uh, again it causes same the same manifestations pneumonia and skin lesions in them and complication is again septicemia but uh, here unlike the other burkholderia species uh, it is not an environmental saprophyte okay it is only seen in horses it is not seen in the environment it is non motile okay and it is also oxidase negative so this these are the exceptions 
which means that all the other species of burkholderia are oxidase positive they are motile and they are environmental saprophytes which is pretty uh, similar to pseudomonas okay and treatment is the same as pseudomaly and finally we look at burkholderia cipaci right which is a soil saprophyte and it causes pulmonary infection in cystic fibrosis or chronic granulomatous disease so cipacea begins with c it causes a disease in cystic fibrosis and cgd or chronic granulomatous disease we begin with neisseria so now these are gram negative diplococci okay they are strict aerobes except gonococcus which is a facultative anaerobe right so gonococcus is a facultative anaerobe while all other neisseria species are strict aerobes then neisseria can be divided into two groups we have a pathogenic class and we have a non pathogenic class now this non pathogenic class um, are commensals in the upper respiratory tract and you can remember them as being common people so these commensals are very common people they don't have much needs so uh, you know they don't require excessive co2 so they are not capnophilic they are non fastidious they don't grow in selective media and they don't even require the temperature to be raised to 37 they can grow at 22 itself so commensals are common people they don't have much needs okay then um, biochemicals they are catalase oxidase positive all of them use glucose right and all of them use maltose as well except gonococcus so g4g gonococcus uses glucose only then uh, if you look at the culture as we said that the pathogenic species are fastidious species and they require blood and hemen and other products for the growth and uh, the selective medium for them is thayer martin medium now this thayer martin medium contains three antibiotics which can be remembered as vnc v is for vanco n is for nystatin and colistin okay so vanco nystatin colistin is thayer martin and modified thayer martin contains something extra so apart from the vnc component they also contain trimethoprim okay so modified contains methoprim and this modified is also called new york city medium okay then transport medium can be uh, memorized by this trick stuart medium and emes medium and both of them are like, characters in the big bang theory and uh, so transport medium are stuart and emes in nigeria and these are nice people right stuart and emes are nice people on the show so nigeria so then we move on to so then we move on to um, nigeria meningitis now nigeria meningitis is lens shaped it is aerobic and it is capsulated okay uh, whereas gonococcus if you remember is is kidney shaped okay it is non capsulated and um, it uses only glucose whereas meningitis also uses maltose now meningitis on the basis of the capsular antigen because we said it is capsulated it can be divided into 13 serotypes uh, a b c d and so on okay so uh, serotype a is the most common cause of meningococcal disease in india and it is associated with epidemics 
ओके बी कॉजेज बोथ एपिडेमिक्स एंड आउटब्रेक्स सी इज एसोसिएटेड विद जस्ट आउटब्रेक्स नॉट विद एपिडेमिक्स एंड एक्स वाई एंड डब्ल्यू वन थर्टी फाइव दे कॉज स्पोराटिक केसेज सो एज यू मूव डाउन द एल्फाबेट दर्ट ऑफ द इंसिडेंस और द एक्सटेंट ऑफ द डिजीज दैट द कॉज डिक्रीजेज ओके एंड अदर मेथड्स uh include on the basis of outer membrane uh, proteins called porin proteins uh, they can be classified right into serotopes uh, serotypes and subserotypes so porin b or por b is for serotypes and then um, the virulence factors now um, the important virulence factor is lipooligosaccharide which is also the endotoxin <clears throat> and uh, this is you know relatively uh you know around 50 to 100 times more com- as compared to other gram negatives so the endotoxin here is very very potent then um, other factors like pila and fimbria which help in attachment they have iga1 protease right etc now if we look at the epidemiology right so uh, meningococcus is causing meningitis right and there is a meningitis belt Uh, which is seen in sub-Saharan Africa, right? Which is also called the Mediterranean belt. And uh, the reservoirs are humans; they carry them in their nasopharynx. And um, the transmission is via droplets, right? And these droplets then can disseminate via the hematogenous route, or they can even enter along the uh, like the perineural sheath of the olfactory tube. And uh, the risk factors. a uh, young age or age between <clears throat> 15 to 25 right if people are traveling to overcrowded places like uh, hajj pilgrimages etc if they're living in dormitories if they're living in barracks right and um, if they have terminal complement factor which means c5 to c9 deficiency or proportin deficiency factor d deficiency etc then they are um, very very likely to get these infections and um, even infection with mycoplasma promotes meningococcus so mycoplasma promotes meningococcus now <clears throat> the spectrum of meningococcal disease varies from uh, meningitis to even septicemia right which is called meningococcemia so talking about meningitis meningitis is the most common uh, presentation and apart from the normal uh, meningeal signs they they get a characteristic purpuric rash okay and if this is very very severe then it is called purpura fulminans okay so meningitis with a purpuric rash is equal to men, uh, meningococcus right and if this um the bacteremia is very severe it is called meningococcemia and in that case apart from these manifestations they have uh, other systemic signs they have cold and clammy limbs and tachycardia and shock like state ensues right and in severe cases they can even have dic shock and then death and um, this can um, you know they can have so- something which is called the waterhouse fridgeson syndrome which is a bilateral adrenal hemorrhage which is seen in meningococcal disease and uh, this is a very high mortality rate so if you look at the complications the most common complication is an uh, is like scarring of the skin lesions scarring of the purpuric lesions that they get okay apart from this because um 
it is affecting the meninges it can also affect the brain and it can cause deafness and other focal neurologic deficits apart from this there is something called the post meningococcal reactive disease right which is an immune complex mediated disease and it has fever with all those sle like symptoms where the membranes are involved like arthritis and rash and vasculitis and uh, pleuritis etc right and for diagnosis what we do is we take the csf we centrifuge it we get two components one is the supernatant which we uh, send for latex agglutination to test for the antigen uh, the capsular antigen uh, and the second is the sediment and uh, we use the sediment one to perform the gram stain and two to perform the culture and then to perform the nat and um, in case there is meningococcemia which means that it is in the blood uh, so we take the blood in uh, blood culture in brain heart infusion broth and then we subculture it on blood agar or chocolate agar etc and uh, if we have to take uh, like we have to test for carriers then we have to use nasopharyngeal swabs and then culture it onto a, a selected medium like thayer martin or modified thayer martin or the new york medium as far as the treatment is concerned um, okay so we use uh, class 3 cephalosporins right like uh, ceftriaxone for one week and in case uh, allergic to uh, cephalosporins you can use chloramphenicol so meningococcemia has cephalosporins if not then chloramphenicol and chemoprophylaxis is done using ciprofloxacin okay nowadays not rifampicin now and in case of pregnant women again we can use ceftriaxone right <clears throat> and uh, finally we talk about the vaccine now we know that the vaccine in this case is of two types we have an older polysaccharide capsule vaccine because this was a capsulated organism this is effective against uh, serotypes except b serotype right and it is uh, conjugated with diphtheria or tetanus etc to increase the immunogenicity and the second uh, which is a more recent vaccine is outer membrane pro protein based vaccine or omp based vaccine uh, which is effective against serotype b because this uh, serotype uh, showed capsular uh, had a capsular antigen which showed molecular mimicry right so that is why we had to use something else apart from the capsule so we use the outer membrane protein and uh, this is called men b f h b b or men b 4 c bec 0 so like weird names like that so that covers uh, Neisseria meningitidis. Now um, moving on to Neisseria gonorrhea or gonococcus. Now we know that the differences between gono and meningo are the fact that one gono is kidney shaped. You can remember this by the fact that it is affecting the urethra which is then connected to your kidney right. Secondly G for G it ferments uh, it uses only glucose it does not use maltose okay and uh, it is unencapsulated and you can remember this by the fact that you get gonococcus when the penis is not encapsulated or it doesn't have the cap on which means it doesn't have the condom on right so gonococcus happens when the penis doesn't have the condom cap and that is how you remember that gonococcus is non-capsulated Again, um, similar to meningococcus, it can be divided further into like serotypes based on porine proteins, right? 
in this case we use only porine b and porine b1a is more likely to cause disseminated gonococcal infection okay apart from this uh, we also use oxotyping in gonococcus right so here we use uh, certain substrates to differentiate uh, the different types right so the ahu's oxotype of gonococcus which is using arginine hypoxanthine uracil is again more likely to cause disseminated disease so two serotypes are causing disseminated disease one is the por b1a and the second is your ahu uh, oxotype right and then uh, if we cultivate this on chocolate or blood agar right uh, we get convex colonies or ambunate colonies which are of four types type 1 type 2 3 and 4 right of which type 1 and 2 are similar 3 and 4 are similar so type 1 and 2 are brown and small while 3 and 4 are white and large okay type 1 and 2 uh, show autoagglutination type 3 and 4 uh, form suspensions type 1 and 2 are virulent type 3 and 4 are avirulent so you can remember 1 and 2 as the bad strains they are brown in color they cause agglutination they stick together and they cause um, a virulent disease right as far as their virulence factors are concerned uh, gonococcal again has lipoligosaccharide but this los uh, is showing molecular mimicry with human uh, lipids and hence it can evade our host immune response right secondly it has pili and these pili show antigenic variation so gonococcal pili show antigenic variation and it has certain other proteins which can be remembered as porompa right so por or por protein right uh, porompa so rmp rmp protein and pa for opa protein so we have por rmp and opa porompa proteins apart from this again it has iga1 protease which is also seen in uh, pneumo and meningo and uh, haemophilus right and the disease which it causes is gonorrhea we know that this is a sexually transmitted infection right uh, the reservoir is an asymptomatic carrier okay and uh, so like we can divide it on the basis of its manifestations so gonorrhea in males it results in urethritis prostatitis and epididymitis okay and in males it is usually symptomatic because they produce a urethral discharge and uh, followed by dysuria and um, you know pyuria etc which is uh, very uncommon for males to have a discharge on the other hand in females it causes urethritis and then uh, i'm sorry the primary site of infection is the cervix so it causes cervicitis right but um, this infection is usually asymptomatic in females because you know females keep having lot of discharge but uh, later they have a purulent discharge with dys- dysuria right and it can even spread to the uh, uterus causing endometritis and then to the fallopian tube causing salpingitis and from there it can even cause inflammation of the hepatic capsule which is called fitzhugh-curtis syndrome and apart from this it can cause pelvic inflammatory disease if the entire you know uh, upper uh, uh, reproductive tract is involved and um, if it spreads to the surrounding perineal tissue then it causes multiple abscesses 
okay followed by sinus formation which is called a water canperineum right and um, based on sexual practices like anal sex and uh, oral sex they can even have proctitis and pharyngitis and finally we have something which is called ocular gonorrhea right um, which can be transmitted in two ways one is which all of us know the perinatal transmission in case a woman uh, was infected with gonorrhea gives birth to a child this child can have ocular gonorrhea okay which presents as conjunctivitis and the second method is uh, auto inoculation which is because of pathetic hygiene habits so um so that was isolated uh, or gonococcal infection and then this can even spread causing bacteremia right we said that disseminated gonococcal infection or dgi is more common in poor b1a and ahu oxotypes it is more common in females okay and uh, it presents with uh, dermatological manifestations like uh, papular or postular lesions with hemorrhage right uh, and they can have nodules and erythema etc so they basically they have a rash okay and the second um, a very pathognomonic feature is uh, is superative uh, arthritis right and um, this is called uh, gonococcal arthritis and most commonly it involves the knee joint and to diagnose this again we can take pus um, uh, purulent discharge from various sites we can culture it on selective medium like thermartin modified thermartin right and serology is not useful here uh, in gonococcal unlike uh, meningococcal disease because gonococcal shows a lot of antigenic variation because of the pili so we do not perform serology because of antigenic variation due to the pili right and an important feature is uh, resistance to antibiotics so we can remember that it is resist, uh, resistant to three classes which can be remembered as QT prolongation or QTP, Q for fluoroquinolones, T for tetracyclines and P for penicillins. And penicillin resistance is because one, uh, because of plasmid, right, which results in penicillin A is producing uh, gonorrhea, so PPNG or there can be a mutation in the binding site. Right, so most common PPNG is because of uh, plasmid transfer. And uh, apart from this, uh, tetracycline is also plasmid mediated, whereas uh, uh, Q, which was a fluoroquinolone, is because of gene mutation. And then finally, we come to the treatment of gonorrhea. So, if it is an uncomplicated gonococcal infection. Um, so like urethritis, prostatitis, epididymitis, uh, uh, conjunctivitis, we can use ceftriaxone, single dose, okay, and um, in case of disseminated disease, uh, we use ceftriaxone, so now if they have arthritis, we use it for one week, if they have meningitis then we use it for two weeks and if they have endocarditis we use it for four weeks so one to four arthritis meningitis and endocarditis and for treatment of ophthalmia neonatorum again we use a single dose of iv ceftriaxone 
right remember that for prophylaxis we can use uh, silver nitrate or erythromycin or tetracycline but for treatment of ophthalmia neonatorum we have to use ceftriaxone so overall if we can say the treatment is ceftriaxone and that brings us to the end of gonorrhea okay so we now begin with triponema triponema has two species which are pathogenic these are triponema pallidum and triponema caracium okay triponema pallidum further has three varieties triponema pallidum pallidum variety endemicum and variety pertenui okay now pallidum causes venereal syphilis endemicum causes endemic syphilis also called bejel okay and variety pertenui causes yaws whereas triponema caracium causes pinta so to remember this we just need to know that p does not go with p pinta is not caused by pertenui instead it is caused by caracium pertenui causes yaws endemicum as the name suggests causes endemic syphilis and we know about pallidum right and um, we also have non pathogenic treponemes which are normal flora in the oral and the genitourinary tract and um, there are two strains which are called the rita strain and the noguchi strain and they are cultivated on a cell free medium which is called the noguchi's medium so non pathogenic treponemes can be cultivated on noguchi's medium now talking about uh, treponema pallidum pallidum um uh, an important thing to note is that um, they are killed this this species is killed at 4 degrees in 1 to 3 days and uh, hence to avoid transfusion syphilis we can refrigerate refrigerate blood for 4 days at 4 degrees celsius okay so for 4 days at 4 degrees celsius prevents endemic syphilis uh, i'm sorry prevents um syphilis transfusion syphilis then uh, talking about a bit about the morphology we know that these are spiral organisms and the spirals are regularly spaced as compared to borrelia where there are uh, where they are irregularly spaced apart from this they have an endoflagella uh, which is present in the periplasmic space and they have a corkscrew motility because of this flagella um how can we demonstrate this uh, we can use the demonstrate this using dark field microscopy a uh, silver impregnation method uh, which is lividity for tissues so ti uh, at the end of lividity means tissues and fontana stain for uh, secretions and um, cultivation so this is obligate intracellular can be cultivated in rabbit testes right the first strain strain that was cultivated was called the nicole strain and it shows limited replication in um, other cell medium so like it is obligate intracellular cultivated on rabbit testes the first strain was nicole strain now talking about syphilis we know that this is an std it has four stages primary secondary latent and tertiary so primary syphilis uh, has a chancre which is also called the hunterian chancre this is a painless papule which later ulcerates it has a hard base and raised regular margins 
इट इज नॉन टेंडर एंड इंड्यूरेटेड अपार्ट फ्रॉम दिस दे ऑल्सो हैव पेनलेस लिम्फेडनोपथी सो प्राइमरी सिफिलिस हैज़ अ शैंकर प्लस पेनलेस लिम्फेडनोपथी नाउ सेकेंडरी सिफिलिस इज बेसिकली डिसमिनेशन ऑफ द बैक्टीरियम टू अदर साइड्स दिस अपियर्स अराउंड टू टू एट वीक्स आफ्टर द अपियरेंस ऑफ द प्राइमरी शैंकर सो वॉट हैपन्स हेयर इज इंस्टेड ऑफ हैविंग लोकलाइज सिम्टम्स वी गेट जनरलाइज सिम्टम्स वी गेट जनरलाइज लिम्फेडनोपथी वी गेट अ रैश राइट विच स्टार्ट फ्रॉम द ट्रंक एंड द प्रोक्सिमल एक्सट्रीमिटीज एंड गोज आउटवर्ड्स राइट मूव आउटवर्ड्स एंड इट ऑल्सो इन्वॉल्व द फॉर्म्स इन सोल्स and uh, we can remember the rashes that involved palms and soles <clears throat> by this mnemonic that says uh, you use your hands and uh, like you use your palms and soles to drive the car right so cars here uh, ca stands for coxsackie a uh, which causes hand foot uh, mouth disease and then um, cars uh, r stands for rickettsia and a stands for syphilis <coughs> Moving on, um, another manifestation of secondary syphilis is condylometa lata, um, which is seen in the axilla, in the uh, anogenital regions, and uh, these are also the most infectious lesions of syphilis, and these are basically plaque-like grayish-white lesions, which are seen in areas, uh, you know, where you have your folds, right, and. Um, Uh, apart from this you get a variety of systemic symptoms like hepatitis uveitis etc etc and hence it is called a great imitator and then enters uh, syphilis then enters a stage of latency which means the, while the serology is positive there are no symptoms right and uh, early latency uh, is is when uh, you know there is is within less than 1 year of the primary chancre and late latency is more than 1 year of primary chancre and then um, in case the patient is left untreated then around um, half of them pass on to the tertiary stage <coughs> so the most common manifestation of the tertiary stage is uh, the presence of gamma which is a granulomatous lesion most common site of gamma is the skin apart from this it can also be present in the bone where it can cause fractures then um it causes cns manifestations which are known as neurosyphilis neurosyphilis is two components it involves the meningovascular component because of obliterative endarteritis right resulting in focal neurologic deficits like um, and uh, hemiparesis hemiplegia etc and the second uh, component is the parenchymatous component right and in the parenchyma we know that the cns is two parts you have the brain and you have the spinal cord so when it affects the brain it is called the general paresis of insane and when it affects the spinal cord it is called tebes dorsalis now paresis of insane uh, means that uh you know you have um manifestations such as uh, a difference in personality in affect or emotions uh, reflexes you know uh, are increased uh, you have arger robertson pupil your sensorium is affected your intellect is affected and speech is affected so the mnemonic here is paresis right personality affect reflexes i with arger robertson pupil sensorium intellect and speech whereas uh, in the spinal cord uh, you know you have tebes dorsalis uh, which affects the posterior column uh, to be precise it affects the dorsal root ganglion 
it results in paresthesias because all your sensory information is coming from uh, is entering the spinal cord through that place and uh, you get bladder incontinence and a white gait these were the serious manifestations then you could also get serious manifestations in the form of uh, obliterative endarteritis of the aorta resulting in aortitis and syphilitic aortitis affects the ascending aorta right uh, it causes sacular aneurysms and can cause aortic regurgitation right and the uh, gross appearance the pathological appearance is known as the tree bark aorta now talking about the diagnosis of syphilis we know that the gold standard in this case is uh, rabbit testis culture right but we don't do that very often so we can use microscopic methods in early syphilis which is dark field microscopy in primary syphilis uh, in in um, secondary syphilis you know we use serology as the most common method now serology in um, syphilis is, is very important right and uh, we have two types of serological tests we have uh, a non treponemal test right which are also known as standard tests and we have treponemal tests okay so these are specific tests now uh, talking about the non treponemal test uh, here the antigen which you use is known as cardiolipin because it is obtained from the ox heart right and uh, the antibody which you detect is called the reagent antibody so the antigen is the cardiolipin antigen the uh, antibody which is detected is a non specific antibody called the reagent antibody okay and cardiolipin is uh, also known as the lipoidal antigen anyways so uh, your uh, non treponemal tests are like you have different types of non treponemal tests the older tests included wasserman's test which was a complement fixation test and we had the kahn's test which was a tube flocculation test currently we are using uh, two tests which are the vdrl and the rpr uh, which stands for rapid plasma reagent test now uh, vdrl is a slide flocculation test and um, it has a few disadvantages uh, in the sense that it requires a microscope to visualize the flocculation and apart from this you need to heat it to inactivate the serum whereas in rpr uh, these disadvantages uh, are not present right uh, but uh, uh, you know uh, a, a disadvantage of these non specific treponemal tests is the fact that they can have biological false positives what you call bfps and uh, there are various you know con uh, conditions that can cause a false positive uh, uh, treponemal test non treponemal test um, you know like um, a variety of diseases like malaria chickenpox hepatitis acute hiv any recent immunization apart from this um, important to note that even pregnancy is a cause of biological false positive and infectious mononucleosis right and uh, a few chronic causes like sle like leprosy a variety of collagen diseases and malignancies right so all your chronic diseases have a potential to give a false positive test now because of this potential 
of these tests to give a false positive reaction you need to remove this by performing very specific tests so what you do is you perform triponemal tests okay so here the antigen which you use is very specific and it is called it is obtained from triponema pallidum and the antibody that you detect are specific anti triponemal antibodies okay and uh, now there are a, a variety of uh, triponemal tests like uh, triponema pallidum immobilization test tpi we have tpha or hemagglutination tppa or particle agglutination etc uh, we also have ftabs right which is an indirect fluorescent antibody test right so you have you detect um, uh, fluorescent tagged antibodies here and um, um the first test that becomes positive you know is ftabs and um, for diagnosis of syphilis we have a two step approach where we perform screening with a non triponemal test because these are very sensitive and to confirm it we use a, uh, a triponemal test because these are very specific right and uh, a disadvantage of the triponemal tests is the fact that they remain positive for many years after treatment so for um, prognosis and for looking at the response of therapy response to therapy um, we prefer using uh, a non triponemal test like vdrl apart from this um, vdrl is also used for analysis of csf and neurosyphilis okay so the most sensitive test and the earliest uh, to become positive is ftabs the most specific test is tppa or particle agglutination followed by tpha <coughs> Uh, for neurosyphilis most specific is vdrl csf most sensitive is ftabs csf okay then talking about the treatment of csf uh, of uh, syphilis um, <clears throat> you know that for early secondary uh, and early uh, i'm sorry for primary secondary and early latent we use uh, 2.4 million units of uh, penicillin g as a single dose okay then for late syphilis and for tertiary syphilis we use three doses of benzathine penicillin right and in cases of uh, penicillin allergy we use doxycycline and in pregnant females because we can't use doxycycline right so we use uh, penicillins okay and if they are allergic to penicillin then we have to desensitize them first and then use penicillin similarly in neurosyphilis uh, we use aquas uh, penicillin instead of benzathine for 2 weeks and if they are allergic then again desensitize finally we talk about the non venereal trypanematosis so we know that uh, these were of three types <clears throat> one was endemic syphilis second was endemic syphilis also called bejel the second was yours which was caused by pertenui and the third was pinta which was caused by caryatium right of these uh, pinta is the mildest right uh, you can remember this by you know thinking of a pint glass which is pretty small right <clears throat> so um, beginning with bejel or endemic syphilis um, it is almost similar to syphilis right the only thing is uh, that instead of having you know genital lesions you get a chancre in the mouth okay 
uh, in the primary stage in the secondary stage again you have the same rashes and mucus patches and in the tertiary stage you get gammas but cns involvement unlike uh, venereal syphilis is rare then second is yours which is caused by patinwi and um, here you get an extra genital chancre which ulcerates right so you have an uh, an ulcerating extra genital chancre and this is called mother yours or frambosemia okay or frambosioma something um, and secondary and tertiary stages are similar tertiary has gummers and finally we have pinta because of caryosium which is the mildest and we have certain lichenoid or psoriasiform uh, extra genital lesions right and uh, um, again gummers here are rare so this this is the mildest form uh, because these are non-venereal right so you don't have genital lesions you have extra genital lesions here and the treatment uh, again is uh, benzathine penicillin or you can even use uh, azithromycin and finally yours uh, was reported in india and it was the only one of the three which was found here but uh, since then since 2006 uh, it has been eliminated okay and that brings us to the end of triponema so now we begin with leptospira and borrelia which are the remaining uh, spiral bacteria or spirochetes so starting with leptospira the most important species here is leptospira interrogans leptospira interrogans is named the way it is because its ends are curved uh, in the in the manner of a, of a question mark or an interrogation mark okay and uh, the important uh, facts include uh, the medium which is selected for it is the emjh medium and apart from this uh, certain media like the stewart's medium uh, the korthoff's medium and the fletcher's medium are associated with the formation of a dinger's ring uh, now this dinger's ring is formed when the bacteria leptospira they grow just below the surface of uh, these semi-solid or liquid media okay um talking about leptospirosis the disease we know that this is a zoonotic disease um and its most important reservoir is rats now leptospira cause asymptomatic colonization of the kidney tubules of the rats in cases of floods their burrows get filled with water and thus they come out and when they urinate uh, this contaminated urine comes in contact with human beings and it results in in the disease leptospirosis okay so the mode of infection can either be percutaneous or it can be uh, through contact of uh, mucous membranes right uh, when you drink it okay so when you drink this contaminated water now in around uh, 40 to 50 percent of the patients um, there is no manifestation which means that these patients are asymptomatic but around half of them are symptomatic now among the symptomatic patients uh, most have something which is called the anicteric febrile illness whereas in a small percentage uh, we get something which is called the wheels disease or the icterohemorrhagic fever so in most of the symptomatic cases there is anicteric febrile illness which is like a normal febrile illness and in a small percentage unfortunate people uh, they get wheels disease or icterohemorrhagic fever now so now talking about wheels disease in particular 
um, a peculiar feature of this disease is that it is a biphasic disease and it occurs in two stages the first stage is the stage of bacteremia the second stage is the immunological stage in the first stage the manifestations are because of the spread of the bacteria in the body so there are non specific symptoms like any febrile illness they get fever myalgia rash arthralgia etc so this is seen in the first week and then the second stage which is seen in the second week you get uh, what is the classical name of this disease which is the icterohemorrhagic fever right so icteric means there is jaundice hemorrhagic means there are hemorrhages and apart from this there is also acute renal failure right because uh, you can remember this um, by remembering that leptospira was colonizing the kidney tubules of the rats so it has to go here also right in human beings also and when it does so um, it causes acute renal failure and um, immunological stage is because of an immune reaction to the bacteria not because of the bacteria per se right and um, this disease um, has um, a significant mortality of around 10 to 15% okay now diagnosis can be established using three samples in the first stage when you have bacteremia which means you have bacteria in the blood the obvious sample would be a blood sample right and you can carry out uh, daffield microscopy cultivation or a pcr test right in the second stage uh, when this starts appearing in the urine and uh, you know when you have the second stage of the immunological reaction with acute renal failure uh, the obvious sample would be urine again you perform the same tests and serology uh, which is detecting antibodies to it will obviously be positive in the second week uh, which is the immunological stage right and uh, to detect the genus um, we can use complement fixation tests and uh, to detect the specific serotype we use the microscopic agglutination test or mat okay so mat is used in leptospira so that um, then uh, we come to the treatment Uh, for mild disease we can give doxycycline which is an oral drug or we can give moxicycline amoxicillin um for moderate to severe disease we prefer giving an intravenous agent uh, like penicillin or ceftriaxone and uh, prophylaxis has to be given um to people like uh, sewer workers to rice field farmers to vets because these are they are working in such conditions uh, Uh, where they can be potentially exposed to rat urine and the drug of choice for prophylaxis is doxy or zithro and uh, yeah so that brings us to the end of leptospirosis so uh, we now begin with borrelia first a few general features for borrelia so um, this is a spiral organism like trypanema however its spirals are irregularly placed as compared to the regular spirals of trypanema okay and um, it also has an endoflagellum like um, trypanema it causes two types of diseases first is the well known limes disease and second is relapsing fever beginning with relapsing fever relapsing fever is of two types we have endemic relapsing fever and we have epidemic relapsing fever now endemic relapsing fever as the name suggests is limited to certain endemic locations 
because the vector here is the tick uh, to be more precise it is the soft tick okay ornithodorus soft tick called ornithodorus okay now it's easy to remember this because you see ticks are found in animals and we know that many species of animals are endemic to a particular location right whereas the epidemic relapsing fever is caused by lice and as you know that lice can be found anywhere irrespective of the area where you live right so this uh, epidemic is louse bone whereas endemic is tick bone then for epidemic fever the causative organism is borrelia recurrentis okay the way you can remember this is to think that um to think about the sentence oh i i hit that guy because he's such a you know he's he's so lousy all the time he's recurrently lousy okay so this will remind you that uh, borrelia recurrentis causes louse bone relapsing fever whereas uh, tick bone or endemic fever endemic relapsing fever is caused by other species which have weird names like hermy and dutoni parkeri etc okay and um, now the louse bone um, uh, form or the epidemic form is uh, found is a strictly human pathogen whereas the tick bone is Uh, has a reservoir in the form of rodent okay as we discussed ticks are found in animals hence its reservoir is rodent whereas in case of epidemic the pathogen is uh, it is a strictly human pathogen okay now when does uh, the louse bone fever occur it occurs when you crush the louse so that the feces come out and then these feces are inoculated with the site of the infection okay whereas uh, in case of the tick bone endemic uh, relapsing fever uh, the infection is because of the bite of the tick uh, epidemic form as you know epidemics are more severe so in this case epidemic rf is uh, more severe and has more mortality as compared to endemic which is milder with lesser mortality um next um why is relapsing fever you know following this relapsing course it is because of antigenic variation which means that every time uh, you form an antibody to this uh, organism it changes the antigen so that uh, your antibodies become ineffective against it okay so we you know the uh, talking about the clinical features relapsing fever means you have fever right in a specific pattern which is relapsing you get the fever then comes down you get it again and so on and in severe disease you get you know a myriad uh, manifestations like jaundice and hepatosplenomegaly lymphadenopathy etc etc and uh, how can you diagnose this now during the febrile stage uh, you can take the blood right and perform you know all these tests on it then uh, for culture uh the medium which you use is called bsk medium or the barber stone or kelly medium how to remember this borrelia b bsk b okay so b for borrelia b for bsk and uh, the important thing to remember is that you cannot use serology for this because it is showing antigenic variation okay so if any option says that uh, you know so and so serological test so that is the wrong answer for treatment uh, we use a single dose of tetracycline okay for epidemic fever for uh, and for your uh, relapsing fever right and in case of cns involvement 
you prefer to use an intravenous drug like IV penicillin or you know ceftriaxone. Uh, we now talk about Lyme's disease. Lyme's disease is the most common vector-borne disease in the U.S. Okay, it is caused by, you know, most commonly by Borrelia burgdorferi. Apart from this, uh, there are certain other organisms like uh, Borrelia afzeli and Garini. But uh, just remember, uh, burgdorferi. Okay, and the vector here is the exoded species, which is the hard tick. Okay, so Lyme's disease is caused by the hard tick or the exodes tick. Whereas uh, relapsing fever, uh, endemic relapsing fever is caused by a soft tick. Okay, then um, so now talking about the clinical manifestations, um, it is somewhat similar to syphilis where you have uh, multiple stages. So in the primary stage of Lyme's disease, uh, you get a bullseye rash or a targetoid rash, you know, which has a center uh, erythematous zone followed by a pale zone followed by another uh, zone of erythema. And um, this lesion, you know, spreads outwards and gets bigger and eventually fades away. Uh, it is also called uh, erythema chronic migrans because it appears at different parts uh, over a long period of time. Hence the name erythema or the rash. Chronic means over a long period of time and migrans made it, means it migrates. Uh, so after this uh, has resolved spontaneously you get the secondary stage which can uh, develop uh, based in uh, you know in different patients at different times and uh, this is again like syphilis it is the second stage is a stage where there is dissemination where it spreads to all parts of the body so again you get generalized lymphadenopathy just like secondary syphilis you get secondary annular lesions so like syphilis you have certain skin lesions here which are present in a generalized fashion and we get migratory arthralgia or migratory myalgia okay and these are very characteristic so Lyme's arthralgia is is a very troubling disease and in few patients I get um, you know serious manifestations in the form of meningitis which is called Banwatt syndrome uh, where there is lymphocytosis uh, in the CSF and um, and the second manifestation is carditis so and you know you get fluctuating AV blocks so if um, you know there's a history of um, a bullseye like rash and a few months later you know this patient has presented with um, certain arrhythmias with AV blocks then this is a case of Lyme's disease okay and then we have uh, what is known as the tertiary stage just like syphilis and this also happens after a few years of latency so in the tertiary stage uh, we get chronic symmetric polyarthritis right so uh, which is most commonly affecting the knee apart from this we get encephalopathy similar to syphilis where you have neurosyphilis and uh, a rare skin lesion which is seen uh, in Lyme's disease is in the tertiary stage is acrodermatitis chronicum atrophicans okay and as the name suggests uh, acrodermatitis means acro means distal dermatitis means inflammation of the skin uh, chronica means chronic and um, so as the name suggests acrodermatitis chronica atrophicans acro means distal dermatitis means 
inflammation of the skin chronica means a chronic course and atrophicans means atrophy so there is chronic atrophy of the skin of the distal extremities right um talking about the diagnosis um for primary and secondary stage we take the blood and uh, culture it on the bsk medium b for bsk b for borrelia and uh, serology is most commonly used for diagnosis just like uh, syphilis for screening we use elisa and for confirmation we use western blot which is exactly like uh, hiv okay and um, talking about the treatment uh, the drug of choice here is doxycycline okay and if uh, there is cvs or cns involvement which is seen in the secondary stage then we can uh, give uh, an iv agent which is iv ceftriaxone okay so yeah that brings us to the end of this podcast we now begin with uh, chlamydia now we know that chlamydia is a sort of atypical organism because it shares certain properties with virus and certain properties with bacteria okay so what are the properties uh, that are similar to viruses okay so one is the fact that it is an obligate intracellular bacteria right uh, so it can't live outside the cell okay and the second is the fact that it is filtrable through the normal bacterial filters which means that it is smaller than uh, the size of an average bacterium okay so these are the properties similar to viruses but then why do we classify it as a bacteria now that is because it contains one both dna as well as rna okay and secondly because it responds to antibacterial agents okay and um, however unlike bacteria it does not have muramic acid in the cell wall so yeah that's it and um, you know we call them by different names uh, like they are called energy parasites because they don't have enzymes for atp synthesis so they utilize the host atp hence they are called energy parasites um apart from this uh, they are also called plt agents because they cause three diseases p for cytokosis l for lymphogranuloma venerum and t for trachoma and um, so what are the properties uh, so talking about the life cycle of chlamydia we know that this is a biphasic organism which means that it has two phases in its life cycle one is the elementary body the second is the reticulate body elementary begins with an e which means that this is the extracellular form whereas the reticulate is the intracellular form okay the elementary body is the infectious form because it is present outside the cell whereas the reticulate body is the non infectious form because it is inside the cell okay and um, the elementary body is metabolically inactive okay because it is outside and the reticulate body is metabolically active because it is inside the cell the elementary body on entering the host cell gives rise to the reticulate body whereas the reticulate body undergoes binary fission and forms many elementary bodies which are subsequently released by lysis okay so yeah so those are the two uh, stages in the life cycle then um, um we talk about the stains which uh, are used to stain this organism 
now it is important to note that um, we don't use gram stain in this okay so that is one of the reasons why it is an atypical thing right uh, instead the stains which we can use uh, are like uh, the jimsa stain or the castanada stain okay and um, these give rise to basophilic inclusion bodies okay so jimsa uh, uh, stain forms basophilic inclusion bodies in uh, chlamydia infections and uh, in case of chlamydia trachomatis these inclusion bodies contain glycogen okay so we can even use iodine in case of trachomatis right and um, so talking a bit about the you know the culture media you know that um, it cannot grow without a cell free medium right so these are grown just like viruses in cell lines uh, like hela and mccoy etc we now move on to specific species of chlamydia and the first uh, species that we tackle is chlamydia trachomatis okay now chlamydia trachomatis is divided into two biovars or um, two varieties if you may and uh, the first is called the trick biovar the second is the lgv biovar so the trick biovar consists of um, types a b and c which cause trachoma it also consists of uh, varieties from d to k which cause genital chlamydia okay so a b and c causes trachoma uh, d to k causes genital chlamydia whereas the lgv biovar which contains l1 l2 l3 is causing lymphogranuloma venerum or lgv okay and um, so yeah trick biovar abc so the abc variety was causing trachoma and what is trachoma trachoma is a type of keratoconjunctivitis and what uh, type of inclusion bodies do you see here uh, we see hp bodies also called halber stadler provazek bodies okay so hp bodies are seen in chlamydia trachomatis right then uh, so that was the first of the trick biovars abc the second uh, type of the trick was d2ks okay so d2k was the next serovar and um, now we said that these were causing genital chlamydia so which means that uh, they are found in the human urogenital tract and chlamydia trichomate uh, chlamydia d2k Trichomatis D2K is the most common bacterial STD. It is the most common cause of non-gonococcal urethritis. It is the most common cause of ophthalmia neonatorum. And it is the most common cause of reactive arthritis. Okay, so everything um, that we study in gonorrhea or gonococcus like uh, it is an std it causes ophthalmia neonatorum uh, it causes urethritis it causes arthritis uh, everything is more common or rather i should say most common in uh, in chlamydia trichomatis okay and um, apart from this um, genital chlamydia is the most common cause of pelvic inflammatory disease and infertility okay so the most common cause of pid with infertility is also uh, genital chlamydia which is because of uh, chlamydia trichomatis d2k okay so now talking about the manifestations of genital chlamydia in males and females it is uh, exactly the same as gonococcus so uh, you know males are many of them are asymptomatic 
and in males it can cause urethritis, prostatitis, epididymitis, etc. And um, in symptomatic males, there is dys- dysuria with urethral discharge. Similarly, in females, most females, like 80% of them are asymptomatic. Uh, the most common manifestation is urethritis and cervicitis. It can uh, further spread to the endometrium causing endometritis with the fallopian tube causing salpingitis and uh, to the pelvic region from causing pelvic inflammatory disease. The second important fact which we have to remember is that it can also cause Fitzhugh-Curtis syndrome just like gonococcus where it is uh, uh, causing an inflammation of the hepatic capsule. Okay, and we said that this is the most common cause of PID with infertility, right? And um, uh, females who use OCPs have an increased risk of genital chlamydia, okay? And um, now, um, if this uh, disease, if uh, genital chlamydia happens in a pregnant woman, okay, uh, there may be perinatal transmission more commonly of conjunctivitis which is also called inclusion conjunctivitis which we all uh, know that presents as ophthalmia neonatorum of which this is the most common cause Uh, and there is a 50% risk of conjunctivitis whereas there is also a 10% risk of infantile pneumonia okay and um, uh, okay so what are the specimens that we use so uh, we use endourethral swabs we use cervical scraping, vaginal swabs, uh, conjunctival scrapings, okay, and uh, urine sed- sediments. And then you can perform a gene sustain to see the basophilic inclusion bodies, right? Um, iodine stain because they have glycogen also. Uh, then you can cultivate them on cell lines. And uh, the most sensitive method is the molecular method, okay? And uh, how to treat this? Uh, for uncomplicated genital chlamydia, we use azithromycin. For complicated versions, we use doxycycline. Okay. And um, for neonatal disease, we use erythromycin. Okay. There we were using in uh, gonococcus, we were using uh, ceftriaxone. Whereas in chlamydia, we are using uh, erythromycin. Okay. Apart from this, uh, it can uh, this uh, D2K serovar can also cause swimming pool conjunctivitis, right? So this also we treat by giving azithromycin. Then moving on to the next serovar, which causes uh, lymphogranuloma venerum. Um, uh, so these the three serovars here are L1, L2, L3, and. Uh, L3 is the most common cause of LGB, okay. Lymphogranuloma venerum is a sexually transmitted disease and similar to uh, syphilis, it has three stages, primary, secondary, tertiary. In primary stage, there is a painless uh, genital papule that ulcerates and then resolves, so exactly like syphilis, okay. Uh, Then in the secondary stage, we get regional lymphadenopathy, okay. Um, unlike syphilis where you were getting generalized lymphadenopathy in the secondary stage of LGV there is secondary lymphadenopathy resulting in the formation of something called the bubo okay so what is a bubo uh, these are just enlarged inguinal lymph nodes okay 
and um, sometimes these lymph nodes get matted with the inguinal ligament and this accentuates the uh, the inguinal groove and this is called the groove sign and uh, these buboes they become so large that sometimes they may ulcerate through the skin so if you see a swelling in the inguinal region which is ulcerated and uh, there is a history of a uh, painless papule ulcer that has healed a few weeks ago then this is probably lgv and uh, then coming to the tertiary stage which occurs a few months to years later uh, there is genital elephantiasis which is called isthyomene okay so simply put primary stage painless uh, ulcer secondary stage bubo with groove sign and tertiary stage there is isthyomene okay and uh, for diagnosis we take a lymph node uh, biopsy or we perform an FNAC okay and uh, we perform a gene sustain and we can visualize Miyagawa bodies so we had HP bodies in trachoma and Miyagawa bodies in LGV okay and of course the most specific method would be to cultivate these whereas the most sensitive method would be a molecular method and uh, an important test here is the Fry's test okay so here what we do is we take uh, pus from the bubo and we inject this uh, intradermally and if we see uh, a hypersensitivity reaction okay then this test is positive and shows that we have this disease then uh, moving on to the third type of chlamydia which is uh, chlamydia cytasi which causes cytokosis okay so cytokosis is a zoonotic infection uh, which is transmitted by parrots and you can remember this because uh, if you remember that parrots um, the, the scientific name of parrots is also something to do with cetaci or cetaco or something okay and uh, the mode of infection is by inhalation of aerosols of the dried feces of these animals okay or rarely if a parrot bites us then even then it can cause cetacosis Okay. so by inhalation of feces of these birds or if they bite you you can get cytokosis and um, you know most of us don't have parrots right so um, this is primarily an occupational disease which is seen in bird keepers and pet shop owners and veterinarians etc and um, so what are the clinical manifestations uh, this is a type of atypical pneumonia okay with um, uh, lower lobe involvement so atypical means that mild productive cough and there is dyspnea okay and um, it can complicate uh, resulting in septicemia which in turn can lead to involvement of various organs and form of endocarditis meningitis hepatitis etc and uh, for uh, diagnosis again we can take bowel or we can take sputum and we can perform a gene sustain and what we see are levinthal coal lily bodies okay or lcl bodies right and um, so because it is spreading uh, through you know feces as well so dried by inhalation or root so we have to use uh, we have to perform these tests in a uh, bsl3 lab okay and serology is very very commonly used treatment of this disease uh, involves doxy or erythromycin okay and uh, finally we come to chlamydia pneumonia 
uh, and this uh, agent is known as the T war or T W A R agent. Okay, there is just one serotype uh, that causes atypical pneumonia and pharyngitis, blah blah blah, and um, a chronic infection with chlamydia pneumoniae is associated with atherosclerosis. Okay, so some studies have linked chlamydia pneumoniae with uh, atherosclerosis. and again treatment with doxycycline okay, so if you have a genital lesion treat it with azithro otherwise treat it with doxy so that's about uh, chlamydia uh, we now come to rickettsia rickettsia is an obligate intracellular organism and uh, it is broadly classified into two groups we have the typhus group and we have the spotted fever group okay the typhus group does not contain uh, your uh, scrub typhus okay um, so we begin with the typhus group it has two diseases uh, one is epidemic typhus second is endemic typhus epidemic contains the letter p so it is caused by uh, r provozeki which also begins with a p okay it is transmitted by louse and as i explained in uh, borrelia relapsing fever uh, epidemic diseases are spread by lice endemic diseases are spread by uh, fleas or ticks etc okay so um, the characteristic uh, you know thing which happens here is uh, there is fever with rash and the rash starts at the trunk and apart from that uh, they have other systemic signs okay so that is Uh, epidemic typhus then coming to endemic typhus so endemic typhus is caused by r typhi okay and um, uh, as i said endemic will be caused by fleas okay and um, uh, fleas and it is relatively milder okay now uh there is an important concept uh, which say which is that um, epidemic typhus is associated with latency okay and um, this latency is um, when reactivation occurs in case of epidemic typhus it is called brill-zinsler disease or recrudescent typhus okay so brill-zinsler disease or recrudescent typhus is seen in epidemic uh, typhus because this bacterium shows latency whereas endemic does not show latency so it does not show this brill-zinsler phenomenon okay uh, also called recrudescent typhus uh, then we talk about the spotted fever group okay uh, it comprises of uh, rocky mountain spotted fever indian tick typhus african tick typhus and rickettsia chilpox okay and uh, something called the bortonews fever uh, and also of course scrub typhus now uh, the spotted fever group most important and uh, the most severe uh, one is rocky mountain spotted fever or rmsf the easiest to remember rmsf is caused by r rickettsi r for r okay the vector here is a hard tick okay the vector here is a hard tick takes bite and they transmit the infection okay and uh, <clears throat> uh the most important thing in rmsf is that uh, it has a rash that involves the palms and soles okay so in syphilis we talked about a mnemonic uh, 
you use your hands or you use your palms and soles to drive cars so ca for coxsackie a r for rickettsia s for syphilis secondary syphilis these are uh, diseases that have uh, rashes on palms and soles okay uh, so apart from these rashes we have fever and um, hemorrhage etc but there is no schr okay there is no schr then uh, we come to rickettsial pox which is caused by rickettsia acari okay and um, this has an schr then indentic typhus caused by rickettsia conori okay which again has schr with fever and rash now the indian tick typhus is of course caused by a heart tick whereas rickettsial pox is caused by a mite and then we come to an important topic uh, which is called scrub typhus this disease is also called chigorosis the causative organism uh, is has a different name from the rest so you can easily remember it it is called orientia susugamushi okay and uh, here the vector is a mite just like rickettsial pox and this mite is mite is called the trombiculid mite okay and um, uh, mode of infection is a bite because of this uh, trombiculid thing and clinical feature again involves uh, schr and there is a rash uh, there is uh, lymphadenopathy and fever so among the spotted group the only place which does not have uh, this schr formation is your um, rmsf or spot um, rocky mountain spotted fever okay and um, how can we establish a diagnosis uh, of course to take a skin biopsy of the rash or of the schr and uh, perform a gimsa stain then the second uh, important or peculiar thing that you must remember is the neil moser reaction so what we do is we take the blood sample from the patient and uh, give it to a guinea pig via the intraperitoneal route okay and that results in scrotal inflammation okay this is called the neil moser reaction or the tunica reaction which is the scrotal inflammation uh, seen in guinea pigs uh, due to inoculation of a blood sample of a you know a patient with rickettsial infections so neil moser reaction is negative in scrub typhus okay it is also negative in uh, epidemic typhus okay so for scrub and epidemic typhus it is negative absolutely negative in scrub and uh, there it presents only with fever in provazeki whereas uh, scrotal necrosis is seen in uh, rocky mountain spotted fever endemic typhus due to r typhi uh, r conori and r acari okay and uh, then for serology we can perform uh, an important test called the wheel felix reaction which is a type of heterophile agglutination test or tube agglutination test uh, what we do is we take uh, the antigen uh, ox19 from proteus vulgaris okay uh, we take ox2 from proteus vulgaris and oxk from proteus mirabilis so oxk is positive in scrub typhus so just remember oxk for scrub typhus okay and um, uh, strong positive uh, of uh, ox19 in epidemic and endemic typhus and uh, a little less strong positive of uh, ox19 in spotted fevers but ox2 is pretty pr uh, prominent in spotted fevers so yeah ox19 in uh, typhus group 
okay and ox2 in the spotted fever group except rickettsial pox and scrub typhus is uh, oxk and drug of choice for treatment of uh, rickettsial infections is doxy and um, uh, sulfonamide there an absolute contraindication in this disease okay so now we talk about coxiella bonetti uh, which is the causative organism of q fever now uh, this organism is special because uh, it it survives the holder method of pasteurization because it is very very resistant uh, to heat okay and it shows antigenic variation or phase variation uh, in host and in cell line so in host it has a different set of uh, phase 1 antigens whereas in cell lines it has a uh, set of phase 2 antigens okay now it causes q fever which is a zoonosis uh and it happens when you know uh, there are domestic animals uh, who, who like uh, because of exposure to their placenta and the milk that they produce okay and um, so this can happen by uh, drinking raw milk okay which has not been boiled or by inhalation of aerosols for example uh, if a, if a person is conducting a delivery um and uh, he gets exposed to the placenta and those animals they drive up all that dust and dirt which contains uh, these organisms okay so the disease it causes uh, that it causes is called q fever it is of two types we have acute q fever and we have severe q fever acute q fever is almost flu like with fever chills myalgia whereas severe q fever has pneumonia and hepatitis okay so there is interstitial pneumonia with hepatitis and uh, this can even become chronic in uh, people with hiv in case of prosthetic heart valves or in case of uh, of uh, ckd okay and uh, coxiella is an important cause of culture negative endocarditis and it is also included in uh, as one of the criteria of uh, of uh, infective endocarditis which i think are the duke's criteria okay and uh, how to diagnose this uh, most commonly we use serology and if there is a rise in the igm titer then it means there is an acute infection and if uh, there is a massive rise in igg titer then it means there is a chronic infection and to treat this we use doxycycline okay for acute uh, hepatitis or pneumonia and in case of chronic uh, we combine doxy with either rifampicin or cipro okay so that is coxiella okay so next um, i think uh, we'll talk about bartonella okay so bartonella is of two types we have bartonella quintana and we have bartonella hensley okay uh, bartonella quintana causes trench fever also called five day fever also called shin bone fever okay its vector is of course a body louse because you know people who lived in trenches during the world wars you know they did not have access to good hygiene facilities and uh, you know they had a lot of lice on them and um, you know these are the vectors of trench fever and uh, reservoir is only man and your clinical features include non specific symptoms like fever and headache and myalgia uh, then there is a truncal rash and a characteristic pretibial pain because of which it is also called the shin bone fever and uh, you can diagnose this by serology and the treatment is uh, by doxycycline uh, then we come to bartonella hensley hensley so the reservoir is cat okay 
and uh, how can you remember this uh, you can visualize a cat who's chasing a hen so yeah barton la hensley uh, is uh, the reservoir here is cats and um, i mean how do you get the infection it can be because of a cat lick or a cat bite or a cat scratch okay so uh, in non immunocompromised patients or in non hiv patients it causes something which is called the cat scratch disease okay so uh, what is the clinical feature of cat scratch disease there is a papule or a pustule at the site where you know these uh, the cat has bitten you uh, with ipsilateral regional lymphadenopathy so if uh, supposing it has bit you on your you know, um, left uh, forearm um, you'll have uh, regional lymphadenopathy in say in your left axilla okay and um, it resolves on its own right and uh, you know we know that uh, cat scratch disease has non creating granulomas i think which was star shaped or something anyways and uh, we can diagnose this by uh, a biopsy of the papule and then uh, if we use the watson starry silver stain then we can see pleomorphic bacteria okay uh, and so that was in non immunocompromised the non hiv patients but in hiv positive patients uh, this causes a disease called bacillary angiomatosis okay which um, uh, visually resembles kaposi sarcoma okay uh, so bacillary angiomatosis in the skin is seen in hiv patients caused by bartonella hensley and uh, treatment uh, is using doxycycline then um, we come to ehrlichia and anaplasma okay both have intracellular inclusion bodies which are mulberry shape called morula and uh, anaplasma uh, is forms these uh, morulas in the uh, granulocytes whereas ehrlichia forms these in the monocytes so uh, so human monocytic ehrlichiosis and human granulocytic anaplasmosis okay and uh, both are transmitted by hard ticks so ehrlichia is found in uh, monocytes and anaplasma is seen in granulocytes and uh, there is also something called neorickettsia uh, which causes senetso fever because of uh, fish ingestion so uh, neorickettsia causes uh, senetso fever senetso fever because of fish ingestion okay and uh, that's it